Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Robbie Motter, the host of Diva Strategies for Success, where every Monday I bring you a dynamic guest from across the country. Today our topic is going to be the story of recovery and hope after attempted suicide. And we have a fabulous guest. Her name is Nancy Verdin, and let me tell you a little bit about her. Nancy is a suicide attempt uh, is Nancy is a suicide attempt survivor, diagnosed with recurrent major depression in 2005, and married over 30 years to a man with the same diagnosis. Nancy has been on two intense sides of the spectrum, as the patient and as a key support. Her goal is to encourage those in emotional pain and help support to be effective while maintaining their own peace of mind. During recovery, it became clear that a major commonality for people who live with mental illness is a general lack of understanding and compassion from outside and toward themselves. Through Nancy's first two books, Called to Live, A Chronicle of Recovery After Attempted Suicide, and Always the Fight, A Living Testimony of What Only God Can Do, her compassionate love blog and the public sharing of her story Nancy confronts stigma head-on and offers an inside look into major depression, as only one who's been there can. You can learn more about Nancy, all her books, and the disease of depression on her website, which is www.nancyverden.com. And also to invite Nancy to speak to your group, contact her at nancyverden, V-I-R-D-E-N, at Comcast.net. Hi, Nancy. So great to have you on the show today. How are Hi, you? Hi, Robbie. I, I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm great. What's <laughs> your story of what happened in January 2011? Well, I had had quite a few months of growing despondency. There were several things in my life that were upsetting, but major depression um, was triggered by a combination of things, but then the disease itself more or less take, uh, took over. Um, but in January, I attempted to take my life, and then I was taken to the hospital where I um, was take was uh, assigned to an IOP, which is an intensive outpatient program. And there I was for every day, every day for a couple of hours a day for several weeks. And it was there I started to really see and learn how to think differently and to how to manage my depression, which I didn't know I had that option before. Wow. I thought it was just something that came along and, you know, you had to ride it out. But now I know it's something that you can actually learn to manage and you can have um, skills and new ways of thinking that actually uh, promote mental health instead of just having to ride this out. I still have the disease of major depression. That hasn't gone away. That is that is a part of me, but I don't have to just ride it out. I'm not its victim. So that was very interesting news and good news when I heard yeah. it. Yeah. What relit the flame of hope for you? Well, it took a while. I would have to say that it took about 16 months before I came to the point where I was actually willing to say, all right, I'm putting suicidal thoughts behind me. I'm not going to concentrate on them anymore. I'm going to be thinking about moving ahead and learning how to enjoy life. 
but prior to that 16 months um was a, was a, were a lot of little progresses you know from I don't want to live and I have no hope at all to, well, maybe I believe that maybe that person has hope for me and I'll hang on to their hope to, okay, well, I see a little bit of hope and, oh, no, I don't. And then, okay, I do see it and <laughs> back and forth and back and forth. And um, it was it was a continuous progression in the sense that if you look back at the big picture, you can see how I was growing. But in my brain it felt like i wasn't going anywhere very fast at all it was it was discouraging but that wasn't the truth little steps were being made and little changes were being made in my thinking and and uh sure enough that you know i got to the point where i was able to say i don't want i don't i'm not hopeless anymore yeah i think little steps are better because they they seem to last you know, if you do too much, then sometimes, yeah, you're going to do it, but there's just too much there, and it can overwhelm you. So doing the small steps can really, you know, it gives you time to think and put them in place and make them work. So that was a really Robbie, good Oh, yeah, yes, I, that is so right. I, I know that when I often want to make some change in my life, you know, I, I want to go for the major change. Like, I want that change yesterday. And I'm going to... Um, try and figure out probably how to make that change happen or I'm going to beat myself up for not making the change, one or the other. Right. It's kind of the black and white thinking. But the but the steps make make a tremendous difference in what you said about the change becoming permanent. Um I I agree because then this, these steps have been practiced every day. They become a, a kind of like a stronger muscle <laughs> if you will right. in your in your brain, right? And so right. You you get stronger and stronger, and when you're challenged next time, oh my gosh, I have muscles I didn't know I had. So that's right. that's the truth. How does yeah. therapy fit into the equation of recovery? Well, for me, therapy was um, absolutely key and remains so. Um, not at the same level of intensity, but it does remain important. Um, at first, if I had not had therapy, I would probably honestly not be here because I had the opportunity to hear what my options were. I had the opportunity to hear that there was more than what I was just seeing in 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 my reality. And if I hadn't had somebody in my life speaking that to me or even asking me questions and making me think about it, I don't believe I mean, one never really knows what might have, could have, but I, I don't believe I'd have got there on my own, no. And um, so therapy for me has been has been enormous, and it's continued to be a, a kind of retraining of the mind. Oh, that's great. What are your thoughts on antidepressants? Well, I've heard a lot of different comments on those. I've heard people say, oh, you shouldn't be taking them because of religious reasons, or you shouldn't be taking them because they're unnecessary. You can just exercise and take vitamins and all this stuff. Um, People are different. People are complex. And there are complex issues behind major depression, and there are complex issues behind each episode of major depression. And each person is different, and one person can even be different between their episodes. You know, one episode's one way and the other one's different. So it, it's not something that we can just put in a box and say, okay, here's a vitamin, you're going to be fine. As far as the antidepressants go, this is how I see it. 
if someone is diabetic and we give them insulin, we expect that insulin to help them level out their sugar blood sugars, mm-hmm. but insulin will not keep that person from eating a candy bar. If right. you replace if you if you put that back on the antidepressants, okay, an antidepressant will help that person level out the the brain connections that just aren't happening, that are making the the mood waver, that are making uh things look worse. And the antidepressants can help that person reason, okay? It brings us to a point where we can reason whereas we couldn't before in the throes of the disease. Now we can reason. The antidepressants have brought us there. After that, the antidepressants cannot make us make wise choices. They no. can't tell us to be happy. They can't tell us how to be find joy. They, can't, they cannot change how we do life. So antidepressants get us to a point where we can reason, and then after that, um, for me, it was therapy and for a lot of people, I think it's at least some sort of counseling, some sort of input from from other people who know how to manage life. So that's how I see antidepressants. They are not happy pills, but they, they do indeed make a huge difference. Has major depression been a part of your life, or is just, was it just this one episode? Well, you know what? I was diagnosed with it in 2005, but I know now that I know what it looks like and what it feels like, and what my symptoms often are. I know that I had um, two episodes prior in my life. I would say the first one that I can actually recognize and say I, I'm sure that was happening was when I was 19. The next one I was 26. The one in 2005 landed me in the hospital. I was 43. And then at 49, I tried to end my life. So, yes, it's been a part of my life for for a long, long time at least, um, do you fear, fear it will happen again? Well, there's there's that fear. I cannot afford to to think about that a lot because it's not helpful to me to think. Oh no, it could be around the corner. It's not. It's not like that for me anyway. Major depression for me tends to be something that sneaks up on me, and as it gets worse and worse towards you know towards where it's really bad I'll go whoa I have this kind of thinking going on and I and I feel really bad and you know I should get some help and it's a little it's a little too little a little too late at that point for me uh-huh. my answer uh-huh. is, to your question is not will it will it happen again will it come up and you know kind of like sneak up behind me it's will I pay attention because uh-huh. I have I have a lot of time to pay attention to that. I'm not going to wake up one morning and and feel like I need to uh or let's say suicidal thoughts can can be there um in impulsive moments. But I don't need to wake up in the morning and decide this is the day I'm going to go and uh end my life unless I choose to think that way. Now that's for me. I'm not going to speak for everyone on the planet. There are people who struggle with major depression in different ways and different mood disorders where they might actually have that moment where they, they've gone from pretty much I'm okay to, oh, my gosh, everything's de- devastating. And those mental health things I cannot speak to because I'm not a, a professional. However, for me, I know I have time. And so when I start to feel that negativity and that isolation and um fear that sort of thing um i have to i have to manage my major depression i can't just i can't just sit there and and uh, and ride it out 
But no, I'm not afraid it's going to just happen to me. I'm afraid that someday I'll I'll not pay attention. But I do. You know, I think you're like an angel to many people who are going through this because I always say, unless you walk in somebody's shoes, you can't tell them what to do. And so, somebody who is having issues, if they can talk to someone or listen to someone speak that's been there, they're more valuable to them because it's not like you know somebody has never experienced it standing up there and say, "Oh, you should do this and that." Um, That's right. So I think that there you're. With your books, um, tell me a little bit about uh, what the books are about. Well, the first one is the f- first year of my life. Right, it starts actually at the moment of being in the hospital due to the suicide attempt. It starts there, and it ends about one year later. And it just describes um, the day, the day to day, more or less, the progress of recovery from extremely despairing and hopeless to okay, maybe I've got a reason to keep going. And it took me a long time. Um, I've I've had people tell me that the process in the book doesn't seem to make sense because you'll see me saying one day, you know, okay, I know I'm going forward. I know I can't kill myself. I know, I know I've got this to go for and this to try. And then the next day, oh, my gosh, this is it. I can't make it anymore. And that's the way major depression can be for people. That's the way suicidal thinking can be. It can be very powerful, actually. Um, so, so that's what the book shows, and you can you get a better glimpse of those steps, 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 steps towards change that were taking place on a daily basis. But you can also see in the book that I didn't see that. So, it's well, what's great is somebody going through that will. Reading your book will say, oh, my God, I'm not the only one experiencing this. You know, sometimes right. people think they're the only ones going through it. But right. to have someone be able to share truth like you have, I think that is just absolutely wonderful because you could be, you know, you can make a difference in so many lives. Well, that's why I talk about it. I don't enjoy talking about it. I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy making a difference for people who are hurting or anyone. But... When it comes down to the just the brass tacks of me standing up and talking about me for the fun of it, no, not so much. <laughs> but I'm. Do you believe the process I, of healing is ongoing? Absolutely, I do. I I um, I believe there's a uh, there there's there's an old saying. I don't. I I I'm new to it. I don't really know how old it is. <laughs> um, the treatment that gets you well is the treatment that will keep you well. And you can apply that to just about any chronic disease. I don't think that sometimes we think in terms like that when it comes to mental disease. We think in terms of, oh, get fixed, you know, come on, pull yourself up. Okay, you're good now. Let's move on with life. No, no more of that craziness, right? But when, but the fact is that there, there is treatment that can get us well. We can, we can grasp onto that and hang on for dear life for the ride. And then we're going to have that time when we feel a whole lot better. But we can't just take it easy. We can't go, okay, I don't need my meds anymore. I don't need I don't need to practice managing my depression anymore. I can just ride this out. I'm sure I feel good. I'm good to go. Because there you go. You're opening the door wide open for that disease to come back and start lying to you and tell you that, that you have to uh you have to give up. Yeah. So yes, it's ongoing. Uh, so what kind of hope can you offer anyone who might be thinking about taking their own life? 
Wow. Um, well, for starters, I say, first of all, you're precious in God's sight. He created you on purpose. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. You are not a mistake. If you can't believe that, if you have to kind of in your mind do do gymnastics to even hear that, then try to understand that you can believe for hope. If you can't grasp the hope right now, you can believe for it. And one of the ways that you can believe for it is to believe someone who has that hope for you. When I sat there in that IOP four years ago, I did not believe a lot of what was being said to me. There was no way it applied to me. There was no way that my life was valuable, that that my depression could be managed. I didn't believe it. But I did believe that perhaps this person and these people who were telling me that I could have hope, maybe they knew something I didn't know. That I hung on to a little while. I'm going to listen to them some more. Maybe they have something that I should hear. I'm going to listen to them some more. And that's how I got out. So if you're in that place where you believe that there's nothing that could possibly change your future and your hope, maybe you can hang on to my hope for you because I absolutely and utterly believe with all my whole whole heart and soul that you have a purpose for being here and that your life can indeed become something that you will be glad to have and that will bless other people. That's, that's fabulous. What advice can you offer to someone who is afraid uh, for a loved one who might be suicidal? First and foremost, take it seriously, please. This is not somebody playing around, and if they are playing around, then they're going to have to learn the hard lesson of not playing around. And by that I mean, let me be very specific, there are people who attempt several times over, maybe many times. I am not describing them. When I talk about people who are fooling around, I am not talking about people who attempt suicide or even threaten it on a regular basis. When I talk about people who are fooling around, I'm talking about joking. I'm talking about people who don't take the subject seriously at all, and they're just throwing it out there kind of with a laugh. That's who's fooling around. If you've got somebody who's saying to you, I really want to die, or I'm going to try and die, and they've done it repeatedly, take that seriously. Because one of these days they could win. They could win that battle against life and actually die. What they need is to know that there's love and acceptance for them and that what they are pleading so hard for can be answered without them having to try and kill themselves to get it. That's what they need to know. So don't leave them alone with lethal things. Um, maybe don't leave them alone at all. If they're at the point where they're saying, I'm going to take my life, then just get them help. There's there's ER. Um, people can go to the emergency room and be met with doctors and nurses and so on who will put them in a safe place and help them to get to the point where they can be more stable. You can call the ambulance and police, however you want to do it. It doesn't really matter. Just don't sit there and say, oh, that's nothing. You're just playing. Because if somebody is hurting so much that they have to attempt suicide or talk about suicide in order to get the help they need, well, 
they're in a lot of pain. So they're they're genuine, and they deserve to be listened to. What about the people who who don't really talk about it, but then just do it? Does that happen yeah, sometimes? It sure does, and that's heartbreaking. Um, that's the disease lying to them, telling them that nobody cares. You can stand. You could have stood. I kid you not. You could have stood right in front of me. And I guess, I guess it's fair to say people did stand right in front of me and say, I care about you, and I didn't believe a word they said. Not because they were dishonest, but because I couldn't believe it. So my disease was telling me that my reality was pain, and that's all it was, was pain. So anything outside of pain was false. If I had a good feeling, let's say, for five minutes, that was false because it wouldn't last. If I had a positive Mm. thought, well, that was false because that was just a lie I was telling myself that something good could be real. If somebody said to me, I love you or I care about you, well, I know that's false because my reality is pain and my reality is nobody cares. And my reality is that I can't feel your love. It's not coming through the wall of pain, so how do I know you're real? Mm. So when so when you're not telling people how you feel, it's because you don't really believe anybody's there to listen to you. It's not that they're not there to listen to you. It's that the disease is telling you they're not. It's mm. It's tragic when people don't manage to get their message out, you know, that I, I really need help right now. And that's very, very sad. Um, There are also impulsive suicides that maybe they didn't really uh, have that length of time, that much of a length of time maybe to to let people know how they were feeling. But the the people who are in in around these people, um, I would say start with telling your loved ones that you're glad they exist. I'm glad you're alive. Oh, my gosh, I'm so glad you're alive. Give them a squeeze, give them a hug, and say, I'm so glad you're alive. Why not? What if they're sitting next to you and playing video games and they're having a great life and there's no reason for you to worry? Why not walk over to them right now and give them a squeeze and tell them you're glad they're alive? Right. Because we don't give each other that message. And right. then people are sitting all alone in their pain and not telling anybody else how they feel. And... It's you know we can't we can't solve everybody's thought issues, but we can certainly um, extend the love and the welcomeness that you can talk to me anytime. But it is tragic when people don't tell anyone how they feel. It's very very sad. And if there's anybody out there who's in that position right now where you're just believing that there's nobody to call, um, well, your disease is lying to you, and there are people to call. There are crisis lines. I've called the National Suicide Hotline quite a few times, actually, and they're very friendly and very kind. They're, they're, you can go to an ER yourself, and the people there will just embrace you. They're, they're going to be very kind. And you can go to a crisis center. Um, there, are a lot, there are options out there. If there aren't people within your family that you believe will, um, you know, relax and, and take care of you, there are other options, so please don't just Nancy, sit inside yourself. Nancy, do you ever yourself. work as a coach with anybody, or um, or you just speak? What is no? How how do you get the message out? 
it's just through my books and through these kinds of interviews. I do get to go in front of audiences on occasion, and that is a thrill. I absolutely love that because I get to see the faces of the people that I'm talking to. And um, people are responding exactly the way you predicted they would. I'm not alone anymore. I can't believe there's somebody else who got in my head. That's the response that I hear quite often. yeah, I think that, like I said, you know, I always my famous thing is don't if don't walk if you haven't walked in somebody's shoes, don't try to tell them what to do. But here's exactly. you who've experienced it. So when you're dealing with these people, they know it's not coming from oh, this is what you should do. It's from somebody That's who's right. gone through the process and That's is right. trying to help them and save them time and steps. It's not coming from somebody who's judging them either. Right. Because I'm not better than you. I am you. <laughs> okay. Right. So so I yeah, that that too. Absolutely. Um do you have any last inform, uh last information you'd like to tell our audience and if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, how could they get a hold of you? I can be contacted through my website cuz my email is there. And um there's also the Give possibility the of com- again. uh nancyverden.com and that's v as in victor I R D E N. That's nancyverdon.com, and um, you can also comment on my blogs or something like that. You'll you'll find me through the website on Facebook and can comment there as well. So there are ways. Can they sign up to get your blog as well? Yes, sure. They can follow it. Absolutely. That's great. So, um, what would your last um, last minute information you'd like to tell people? You know, I would ha- I would want people to get resources. Um, there are places, there's like dbsalliance.org, um, that's depression and bipolar support. There's NAMI, that's N-A-M-I, National Alliance on Mental Illness. Um, there's there's several really great organizations out there that can explain in much greater detail what it is that you or your loved one could be struggling and what to do about it. That is great. This I find this very, very informa- you know, informational, and um, because I know someone who had tried to kill herself twice, and yes. um, and I also want to thank you. You know, I contacted you and asked you if you if she could contact you, and you were a big help to her. And she is going. You know, you were mentioning the where you go to the classes every day, and she is doing that. So that was Good. great. Great. Glad to hear. And. Uh, and so thank you so much for being my guest today. It was well, thank you, great Robbie, information. For having me. Okay, great thank information. You. And I wish you great success. I appreciate and that. And <laughs> maybe next year we'll be have you back on the show and we can see what's new and exciting. Maybe you I think you'll <laughs> I have another that. book. <laughs> I I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I'd love that. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Nancy, have a great day. You Bye too. now. Bye.